morning. Yeah, Pastor Kurt is, is, is right about that. I, I was a little bit more excited this week than I've been for uh, in a long time writing. And I think we were just randomly talking on the way in. And I, I probably, this was the bridge that connected it. Uh, my wife and I moved into uh, our house out of an apartment. And so we've been in there for three weeks. And I didn't realize how much an office space meant for writing and creativity time. And, and uh, so that's something we've had in this house is a, like my own office and I get to work in there. And so that is just something that I think uh, I didn't realize how much of a benefit that was for my creative process and, and just feeling like I had a special space for prayer and time. And so that's one thing that's really been encouraging about this message this week is uh, just really feeling like I had great space to process and and to think through this message. And so I pray it blesses you. I know that it's from my heart. I know it's some stuff that the Lord has, has taken a hot iron to my heart and ironed out some of the wrinkles in my own life over this last year. And so um, this, this whole month of going through Hebrews has just been transformative for me as well. And so I just really appreciate Pastor Kurt um, uh, just in his leadership, opening up the pulpit and letting us lead, the, you know, at the pulpit together sometimes. And so it's just really encouraging to be able to have that. We are lucky to have a, a lead pastor who does that. And speaking of our lead pastor and the vision here at the church, I know this is something we're going to dive into here in the next few months. But I felt like this was something important that, that he kind of brought up last week. And I'm going to open up with it this week. But our vision here at Renovation Church, if you don't know, if you do know, here it is. Our vision is to raise up influencers. Everybody say influencers. To raise up influencers through spiritual transformation. To be salt and light where they are engaged and influential. To raise up influencers. And I, um, being here now for a season, for a little while, I've had time to sit back and watch how important and almost how integral uh, of a part of, of Pastor Kurt's DNA that this really, this vision, this, this is actually part of who he is. It is the way that he leads. It's the vision that God has given him for this church is that we would raise up people that would make impact and influence wherever they go, that we would not just be a, an isolated community of believers that get in holy huddles and stay here together, that, that the, the influence that we would have would be worldwide. It would be out of these walls. It would be in our communities, in our neighborhoods. It's not just about getting uh, these seats filled, but the seats in heaven filled. And so I just really appreciate that. I wanted to open up with that and compliment our leadership here and the vision. Um, it's one thing to come in and go, man, I love how that sounds. But it's another thing to be here now for a while and go, that's really who we are. That's just who we are at this church, at Renovation Church. So to raise up influencers through spiritual transformation, spiritual transformation really sticks out. But that word influence, let's break that down just for a second. I'm not going to go too far on this. Um, I'm just going to get you guys excited about for a vision coming forward in the next few months and, and as we, we go into this together. But that word influence, let's, let's break that down together. It's the capacity to have an effect on character. So if we wanna raise up influencers, we want people to have the capacity to have an effect on people's character. So if, if, if the goal for us is to raise up influencers in this room, that, that not only you would leave this place, that you would leave um, this place a little bit different with the ability to influence the character of other people wherever you go. So if we are raising up influencers, as they keep that definition up there for me, it's the capacity to have an effect on the character development or behavior of someone. 
And so to be an influencer, to have influence on somebody is to have the capacity to have an effect on the character development or the behavior of someone. You see, there's two different kinds of influence that we have the ability to have. The kind of influence that Pastor Kurt has on me as a believer, as a mentor, as a leader in my life, a spiritual leader in my life is different than the kind of influence that, that I have with people in my air conditioning job. You see, but we have to be able to have influence wherever we go, wherever we are engaged and influential. And so we have to be able to have spiritual influence on those people we are discipling, mentoring, and leading, but you also have to have the ability to influence character on a world that's lost and broken and empty. And it requires a different set of skills and ability to communicate differently. And so taking this capacity to affect character wherever you go, when you impact the people around you that don't know Jesus, where they have to ask the questions like, okay, what's different about you? Why are you so much different? And that's how we lead people to Christ in the world versus spiritual influence, discipleship, mentoring people is a little bit different. That's more of the spiritual transformation side of influence, amen? But look, there's a problem. There is a problem, and I think that not renovation specifically, but the church, and here's the tension that lies with us wanting to be influencers. We've lost the ability to really influence people because there's a gospel that we preach, that we teach, and that we talk, but then there's things that they see in the, the big church, the big, the big C church, that doesn't line up to what it is that we say we believe. You see, in this uh, quote, I, I, I thought it, it meshed pretty well, and I read it this week. Uh, Peter Cesaro, he's one of my faves, um, and I'm, I'm gonna throw up one of the pictures of his book here in a little bit, and you'll be able to look at him, but Peter Cesaro said this. He says, Jesus is in our heart, but grandpa is in our bones. Amen. And, and, and it doesn't necessarily mean that your grandpa was good or bad or mine was not very healthy as of an influence in my life. But, but really what that means is we, we have Jesus in our heart, but man, we've got some junk that we've got to flush out. Like we've got some things in our past and we've got some trauma and we've got some heartaches and we've got some, some things that we've gone through that, that we can say that Jesus is in our heart, but if you don't transform, people don't believe he's real. Like if you stay the same messed up condition that, you, that when you met Jesus and you had these same uh, emotional scars and issues going on and these same shortcomings and the same, the, the same problems year after year and just recycle them, people are like, yeah, that's great you say it, but I don't believe it. So Jesus is in our heart, but grandpa, our past is in our bones, Amen. I definitely got some grandpa on my bones, okay? <laughs> yeah, right, you understand what I'm saying. He was a pistol, and so <laughs> we won't go into him today. But most people just stay stuck right in their junk. We claim Jesus is in our heart, but we stay stuck right in our junk. Year after year, recycling whatever it is that we're going through, the, the trauma. Look, I'm a product of years of therapy years of counseling, years of discipleship. I'm a product of that. 
I didn't just meet Jesus and he and accepted him in my life and I was magically healed of all the trauma and PTSD and things that I'd gone through. I am a product of years of coaching and discipleship and, and surrendering and submitting my heart to wise counsel and, and taking feedback from people that I trust. And I'm like, okay, teach me how to be a better person. Show me the faults and the flaws in my life. I'm a product of that. And for us to be able to have influence on a world, we have to be a product of that same type of stewardship, that same type of being a student and allowing people to speak into our life about our junk. Amen? Amen. Hmm. Thanks, Mom. Speaking of my mom, if you ain't met Mary Kay, you're going to meet her today. You know why? It's her birthday. Amen. <laughs> Mom, go ahead and stand up for a second. I want to point you out, and I'm going to say something, and I'm going to try to hold it together, okay? So my mom is an absolute walking, talking example of spiritual transformation. If I could have taken a picture of this woman early 2000s, put a video up of our life, the, the 90s growing up, versus the human that she is now, it, it, you wouldn't even recognize her. You would have no idea. In fact, in my most lost in my most broken state where I was, I wasn't even fit to be my children's father at a certain point in their life. I didn't have them in my life on a regular basis. There was nobody in this world that would let me sleep at their house and be over at their home. Only that was my mom. And I remember, uh, it's, today's her birthday, I remember sleeping on her couch and I had lost the ability to be my boys' father. And every night that I would, I would sleep with their picture with me, on, on my mama's couch, and this was the picture that I would sleep with, and I would sleep with that, and I would just, God, if you're real, you gotta show up and you gotta do something, because I'm so broken, I'm so lost, I'm so hurt, and the only person in this world that would let me in their home was my mom. She's always had my back, and so I just wanna honor you and celebrate you today, mom. Happy birthday, and I'm gonna pass this picture on to you, and that you can hold on to it. Amen. And so I got one, one other picture or one other story about my mom talking about how she's always had my back that uh, my first, uh, I think it was my first fight. Have I told you guys about this? Yeah, it, that's my son. <laughs> my first fight came on the heels of a football game in our front yard, living in Miller, Missouri. I'm out there playing with the older kids, the high school kids, and I'm in sixth grade. I'm pretty good. Okay, I'm pretty fast. I was pretty talented. At the, I had a full head of hair. You can't picture it. I get it. I know. But I'm out there playing football, and I'm out there scoring, and I'm rubbing it in. I'm being loud like my youngest son is too. And, you know, we're, I'm rubbing it in. And then all of a sudden, this guy just had enough of it. High school kid. He's a freshman, and he just punches me right in the face as I'm down, and I'm bragging about scoring, and he starts beating me up. But then it was almost like, uh, a bear escaped out of the woods or something. It's, like there was this noise that came out of nowhere. And it was like, Aah! and I look up and everybody stops and it's my mom running at this kid <laughs> with a stick. <laughs> and she runs up and starts whapping this high school kid with a stick and get off my son. And I'm like, that's my mom. <laughs> and she's always had my back. She's always had my back. And... Um, Nobody messed with my mom. That's what happened. I went through high school in good shape. <laughs> and so, oh my goodness. Spiritual transformation. It's really the, the, 
the synopsis, the breakaway of Hebrews that we've been studying, this spiritual transformation. Here's one of the quotes that I found this week. God has made you alive with Christ. That's the new birth. But a Christian isn't born into adulthood. We are born into infancy and then must strive toward maturity. This spiritual transformation is something that as we accept Jesus Christ into our life, it is a process of being transformed into the image of Christ. And Pastor Kurt preached on this and did an excellent message on Hebrews 5.13. And let's read that together. It says, for someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. That this person who spiritually is living on milk, that they have a hard time discerning what's right or wrong. Somebody who is spiritually still on milk, they have a hard time identifying the things in their own life that they need to work on. That they, they don't have this microscope of the Holy Spirit. They're not able to actually see the, 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 the defects and the flaws and the faults. And as you spiritually mature and you allow people into your life to speak into that, you mature and you gain the spiritual maturity to understand how to help other people then. But if, and, and like it's talking about this here, this person that is, that is spiritually still on milk and is an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right, one of the ways that, and Peter Cesaro says this, that we can identify if we are spiritually immature, that it always goes hand in hand with emotional immaturity. That's a hard thing to process. Realizing at the age of 30, when I was really turning my life around for Jesus, that I was an emotionally an infant, that I didn't have the, the, the skills or the, uh, the personality skills necessary to process the, the kinds of pain and trauma that I had been through, that, that this spiritual maturity always goes hand in hand with emotional immaturity. Peter Cesaro says it like this. He says, it is not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Let that sink in just for a second. It is not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Speak to anybody? That's a hard thing to process and even to admit if that's where you are. When we deny our pain, losses, feelings year after year, we become less and less human. We transform slowly into an empty shell with smiling faces painted on them. You see, one quote that I really enjoy is from A.W. Tozer, and it goes hand in hand with this, that being hurt, have trauma, have losses and fears and things you've not dealt with, maybe not having emotional maturity to how to process through that, that's not weakness admitting that. It takes a lot of strength and courage to go, I've got some junk and I've got some baggage that I've got to deal with. I've got some things that I need therapy or counseling or, or discipleship or a mentor. I need to be honest with somebody. I need to let somebody speak into my life. And A.W. Tozer says that, that he doubts that God can use anyone greatly until they've been hurt deeply. That part of your spiritual maturity, part of this journey of the gospel is suffering but then allowing your suffering to be identified with a purpose to help other people. 
And you will never be unleashed to help other people until you allow your suffering and your, 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 your maturity process spiritually to be ironed out and developed. That way it can be helpful to other people. Amen? All right, here's a quick list. I'll run through it. Emotional immaturity. And this is, again, Peter Cesaro. At the end of this, I'll throw, I'll throw up the book where I've gotten some of this. Emotional immaturity. <clears throat> As disappointment or stress enter the picture, I quickly unravel. When I suffer, everyone around me suffers too. I often take things personal, interpreting disagreements or criticisms as personal attacks. I'm often defensive, become threatened and alarmed by feedback or criticism. I keep score of what I give so I can ask for something in return later. I deal with conflict poorly, often blaming, denying, or going to a third party pouting. I feel like others owe me. I have trouble listening to another person's problems without talking about how my problems are worse. Signs of emotional maturity, things that we struggle with. it's, It's not wrong to be there. It's wrong not to do something about it if you realize you're there. The identification process of, hey, some of that is true of me. I've got to work on that. Allowing wise counsel into your life to help pinpoint those character flaws. That way you can be matured. That way you can be developed in Christ and then help other people. Here's the book where I got a lot of that from. I think you guys got a picture of that back there. Um, This is Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I, I highly recommend it. Whether you're in year one or year 10 of your faith, It is such a good book to help you process through pain and trauma and loss and fear and grief and all of these shortcomings that we all struggle with in one way or another. And so this is a, 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 it's been a really encouraging and life-changing book for me. All right, let's talk about a few markers of being spiritually mature now. Um, And we get these markers out of Ephesians. Um, I've got a few of them out of Hebrews as well, but three marks of a spiritually mature uh, believer And we find these in Ephesians 4 and a couple of them in Hebrews. And so here's the first one. One of the markers of being spiritually mature is unity. See, Ephesians 4, 3 says this, that it says that we should make every effort, every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Like this bond of peace is somebody who is gentle, who is humble, who is kind, who is approachable. This person that has that bond of peace in their life is not somebody who is walking around always offended. I heard one one, uh, sermon this week on this unity that, and this pastor, you know, he, he was preaching and he goes, you know the problem? We say that we're living in this unity, but then most of us attend this same church week after week and we can't even walk across the aisle at church and meet somebody new. We're so scared and we're so nervous and we're so, we're so hurt that we're shut down that we can't even, and he's talking to his congregation. I don't know if I necessarily fall right in line with that, but it is something that if we claim that unity is the mark of the spirit that's within inside of us, there should be a special bond inside of our churches that the world desires to have. The second marker of being spiritually mature, and this, this may ruffle a couple feathers, I'm not sure, if some people may or may not like this, but the second one is serving. You should be serving in your local church as a marker for spiritual maturity. I know we want to be influencers and we're engaged and influential, but it is a, it is a, it is a, 
It is an instruction of the believer that we should be, each one of us without exception has been given spiritual gifts that Jesus wants to make the body stronger. That it gives us a small list. It says apostles, prophets, teachers, serving others, encouraging others. If giving, give generously. If it's leadership, then take it serious. If it's kindness, then be kind. That whatever gift that God has given you, that you should be investing that back into your local church. That way we can be engaged in an influential elsewhere as well. Amen? All right. Here's our third one. And I think it kind of goes hand in hand a little bit with it. But our third one is discernment and discipleship. Hebrews 10, 24. See, I like this uh, discernment, discipleship kind of combo here. See, discernment is somebody who has been spiritually uh, mentored, discipled, and they actually are mature enough to give wisdom and feedback and correction to people. And so it goes hand in hand with discipleship. And so Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. See, our responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church. This discipleship is something that I think is, is such a critical component. But there's such a, a scary line between this discernment and condemnation. You see, sometimes this discernment that we are called to use with believers and people that we're discipling is sometimes turned and used toward the world and turns into a little bit of condemnation as well. In fact, one of the verses that really stuck out to me when I was studying this is Matthew 7, 6. In Matthew 7, 6, it's one of these verses that, that sometimes it gets weaponized inside of, inside of our faith in the way that we treat other people. And, and pull it open. If you've got your Bible, I want you to open up to Matthew 7 with me. And we're going to read this together. And I think it'll, it kind of helps us when we talk about discernment and how we treat non-believers versus people inside of the church. And so Matthew 7, 6. Give me an amen when you get there title of this whole chapter don't judge others so Matthew 7 6 says this it says don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy don't throw your pearls to pigs they will trample the pearls and then turn back and attack you see I always struggled with this verse like is Jesus really calling people pigs Have you ever thought that? Like, is Jesus, like some of your translations say dogs even. Like, is Jesus really calling people pigs or dogs? You see, the problem is context. Context is critical inside of this. You can't read Matthew 7, 6 and create a, a theology or an approach to the world with it without living in Matthew 7, 1 through 5. You see, the entire chapter, it's about not judging other people. And so Jesus, the irony of this whole thing, he says in 7-1, don't judge others or you'll be judged. For you'll be treated as you, as you treat others. The standard that you use in judging is a standard that you'll be judged. And so he continues to go through this, uh, this, this uh, list of things that, that how can you tell the, your brother about the speck in their eye when you have a log in your own eyes? And he says, hypocrite. 
And then you get to verse six. Like the irony inside of this is Jesus is telling us not to judge other people, not to treat them this way. But then he uses language that would be identifiable to that culture that, that pigs and dogs were these scavenging animals. And he was pointing out that they were blind to the way that they judged other people. He's not telling us not to give to people inside of don't give your pearls to pigs. He's telling you what to give to people based on where they're at. Of course, you're not gonna give a pig a pearl. You might give them food. You might give them shelter. You might love that person, the person that, that was like me, that I, I lost the right to be my, my, my kids' father and I'm sleeping on my mother's couch and I'm worthless and I'm a, I'm a deadbeat and, and she can't give me pearls at that place, but she can give me shelter and food. You see, Jesus is saying to the standard that you judge other people and treat them, that you'll be treated that same way, that we are called to still love people. All right, let's, let's land this plane together. Um, Josiah, if you guys wanna come on up, I'm gonna let you get started. And I'm gonna try to land this plane here, but words are so critical. Context is so critical. Hmm. I got one other story. My brother was, uh, he was getting on a plane. This is a, a meathead story a little bit, but he's getting on a plane and he goes and buys a bag of Lay's potato chips, puts it in his bag, and he goes to sit down at the gate. He's about to board. Sits down next to this other guy, and they're sitting there, and all of a sudden he looks over, and the guy grabs a potato chip out of his bag and eats one of his chips. Ooh, okay. Josh is like, man, this guy's a little brave. This guy's a little, little gutsy. Josh reaches over and grabs two potato chips out of the bag and eats it right in front of the guy. Guy kind of looks at my brother. They do a little exchange and the guy reaches down and he grabs another chip out of the bag and eats a chip. And they do this back and forth until the end of the bag of chips is gone. No words are exchanged. They just have a weird moment of eating chips together apparently. My brother proceeds to get on the plane, sits down, reaches into his bag for his headphones and guess what he finds? Found his bag of chips. <laughs> well, <laughs> context is so important, isn't it? You know, so often we live that Matthew 7, 6 toward people without living into Matthew 7, 1 through 5. The context of what is being written is so critical that you cannot just take the verse out of context and treat people a certain way that, that I'm gonna stop, they aren't worthy of the gospel or the way we treat the world versus the way that we mentor and disciple people inside of the church, they're different. They're different. The way that we have to handle the world, we're not gonna throw pearls at them. We're gonna love them right where they're at. We're gonna love people to Christ, not condemn them. But then when it comes inside of discernment and the way that we handle mentoring inside of the church, we're gonna handle that a little bit different with discernment and wisdom and experience. And, and I'm gonna call you out on your junk and you're gonna call me out on my junk and we're gonna get better together. But that's what that takes. And so when we talk about our vision statement, see, I've realized that to be salt and light where we are engaged and influential it's only gonna happen through faith. 
It's only gonna happen through the, the realization of this gift that we've been given. Go and stand on your feet and we're gonna let the worship team get started as I read a couple more verses to get us out of here. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this. It says that faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Verse two, it says, through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. That word reality, faith shows the reality, the assurance. In the Greek, it, it was the assurance, that word that was used, it meant like the title deed. It showed the evidence of ownership. So when you read this verse and it says, faith shows the reality, the assurance, the evidence of ownership that somehow this faith this thing that we possess that the world doesn't have is a gift that's supernatural and it's what proves our ownership of Jesus in our life you'll bow your head I'm going to pray us into worship here Lord I just pray that you take this word you deposit it and you do whatever it is that you're gonna do, Lord. I thank you for this opportunity to present your message, God. And I just pray today, Lord, that hearts and ears are open for your voice today, the only voice that truly matters in our life. So Father, we love you and we trust you. In the name of Jesus, amen.